0: Good morning. You might be looking at your bulletin and then looking back up here and looking back down and saying, that's not Bob Fuller up there. You are right. I am Becky Pritchard. I am grateful to be here. You may um, have heard that Bob and his family have tested positive for COVID, so we will keep them in their prayers, uh, in our prayers. It's funny. He called me about Thursday afternoon around 4 o'clock and said, Are you feeling better because we had just finished our bout with covid for my whole family for the last 10 days thankfully i was feeling better just in time to step in to preach today so i'm grateful for the opportunity to lead this morning thankfully both my family and bob's family so far have had very mild if any symptoms so we are praying for all of you for those watching online who might be homesick for those of you here in person we pray that we are filled by the spirit today filled with his fullness, that today as we worship together, whether we're here in person or online, that God is with us. So let us continue with our study today of the book of Hebrews. We began this study last week, and Bob sort of introduced the book of Hebrews and talked about how we're going to be hearing the theme over and over again about the superiority of Jesus. Jesus is great, Jesus is mighty, Jesus is powerful. We will hear that over and over again. So today we will pick up in verse three of chapter one. I invite you to open your Bibles, whether you brought a Bible on your phone, um, your personal Bible, grab the Pew Bibles or look up to the screen as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. Or again, "'I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son.'" And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, "'Let all God's angels worship him.'" Of the angels, he says, "'He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire.'" But of the Son, he says, "'Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom.'" You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end and to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation this is the word of the lord thanks be to god let us pray May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So what is it about angels that is so intriguing to us? Angels are pretty cool, right? They're somewhat of a mystery to us. They are supernatural, and we think, that these are, these heaven, we think about these things, these heavenly beings that do the work of God in our world. We watch shows and movies having to do with angels because we're curious about them. Especially during the Christmas season as, we, as we've just come out of it, we've seen angels on our Christmas trees in our yards. We sing about angels. We see angels represented in many different ways throughout Christmas. And on Christmas Eve, we read the story of Christ's birth. We study the scriptures about how the angels appeared to Mary, telling her that she would be with child. The angels appearing to Joseph in a dream, telling him that he should marry Mary and that she would conceive a son by the Holy Spirit. And let's not forget about the angels appearing to the shepherds in the field and telling them about the Christ child. We love it when our children dress up as angels for our Christmas pageant every year. They're so cute. In fact, I myself is dressed up as an angel a time or two. I have a picture for you. This is me, almost 30 years ago, sitting on this front chancel next to my childhood best friend, Laura Worth, the daughter of Jim and Janie, and we were angels, aren't we cute? Yeah? Um, I showed this picture to Pastor Joe yesterday, and I said, which one is me? And he says, easy, the one that looks like Cora. If you don't know my daughter, Cora looks just like baby Becky. So, I have loved dressing up as an angel, and you might have a similar picture of yourself or your children, uh, maybe even on these same chancel steps. Here's another picture when I was quite a bit older at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church in Houston. This is me with my family. I don't know why I'm the only one dressed up, although I think my mom is wearing some sort of robe, but who wouldn't pass up the opportunity to put on wings and a halo and a white gown? It's like every girl's dream to be an angel. If you were here at the family Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve, you might have seen this picture or this person, this is our Pastor Joe. That's right, Pastor, he is dressed as the angel and he um, was glowing from our balcony during our Christmas Eve service and he did an excellent job. Now I can't see Joe in any other way than as one of our glorious angels. He's always up for something with us. Angels are mentioned hundreds of times in the Old and New Testament scriptures. They're an important part of our life and our faith. But we must be careful not to value angels over Jesus. Jesus is greater than angels. That's the main point of the passage we're studying today. The author of Hebrews makes the point that Jesus is superior to angels, and then he spends the rest of of the passage proving his point by using seven Old Testament passages to illustrate how Jesus truly is greater than angels. Everything we love about angels, everything that makes us stop in wonder and awe at angels is nothing compared to Jesus. Let's talk about the role of angels for a moment. Besides just being really cute when we dress our children up as them, or our pastors up as angels, they're messengers. Their name means messenger. They communicate God's message to God's people. It's an important role that they have. They also worship God. Remember in the story when they show up to the shepherds in the field, they say, glory to God in the highest, worshiping the Lord as they share with the shepherds. They also have a role to minister. We see throughout scripture, angels ministering in unique ways to people because of their heavenly nature. An angel ministers to Hagar in Genesis when she's cast out by Sarai. An angel protects Daniel in the lion's den by closing the mouth of the lion. Other times, angels minister and protect people when they're dealing with daily struggles. But we must not forget that the Lord sends the angels in all of these circumstances to minister to his people. Even though angels do amazing and miraculous things, they are not Jesus. And they really can't compare to the nature, glory, power, and activity of Jesus. The author of Hebrews in this passage uses a comparison argument to compare the angels' and Jesus. He's going to prove this supremacy and superiority um, by using these passages from the Old Testament. It's important for us to note that he uses these Old Testament passages that were written hundreds of years before Christ was even on this earth. This is proof that our scripture is connected. The entire story of God from Genesis to Revelation is all part of God's story, old and new and that there's really nothing new here. Jesus is foreshadowed and prepared for even before he was born. So let's see how this author uses these scriptures to prove Jesus's superiority. The author begins in verse three with a description of Jesus. He writes that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by word of his power, and then he says, through kind of his activity on earth, through his life and death and resurrection, he made purification for sins, and then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the author of Hebrews begins with this description, to sort of set the stage. Okay, this is what we're dealing with here. This is Jesus, and these are all the qualities of Jesus. So in order to compare Jesus, we need to know where we begin from. Jesus is one with God. He is, in essence, God. Let us not forget, just because he was born as a baby, that he is God. He is powerful. He has the authority to purify sins through his actions on the cross. No one else has that authority. No one was given that authority, even the angels. The angels don't even come close to his nature or his power or his action. In verse 4, the author talks about the name of Jesus. We know how important names are. We give our children names that we know they will carry for their entire lives. Names are valuable. The name of Jesus is superior to that of the angels. And the author describes that name in verse 5 by using a rhetorical question. He asks the readers, his congregation, in order to get them kind of thinking about this name of Jesus. And he says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. By asking this question, the author's proving that Jesus is the only true Son of God. That name is important. No one else is called the Son of God. The angels have never been called the Son of God. God has saved this language only for Jesus, and only Jesus will inherit God's kingdom as his Son. There's a very special relationship between the Father and the Son, And no one else inhabits that relationship but Jesus. So, not only is Jesus' name greater than that of the angels, in verse 6, the author goes on to say that the angels worship him. Angels glorify Jesus, as we said before, praising his name, which means they are lesser than Jesus. And in verse 7, he quotes directly from Psalm 104. He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. The angels do the work of Christ. Christ is the one instructing the angels on what to do. And as we continue on with our passage, verse 8 says that Jesus' throne is forever and ever, eternal, everlasting, always, forever. He's referring to Psalm 45 here. Jesus is anointed. He is the king. He holds a special office on the throne, not the angels. And then in verses 10 through 12, we see that Jesus is creator with God from the beginning. Christ is a co-creator with God, a reference to Psalm 102 here. You see how the, the author is using these passages to prove his point. They were spoken long ago. These Hebrew Christians would have known these prophecies, these, these, uh, these psalms, these passages, and he's connecting them to Jesus. That Jesus laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. Christ is begotten and not made. He's a creature. He is not a creature, but rather the creator. Another illustration of Jesus existing before the world was created it comes from John chapter 8. When Jesus describes himself using the words, before Abraham was, I am. He refers to himself in this way, which is a powerful way to say that he was with God in the beginning. One with God in existence before the creation of the world. So we're getting the point here, right? The author is illustrating one after another ways that Jesus is superior to angels. The angels are created beings, but Jesus was with God in the beginning. Jesus is everlasting and eternal, and he does not change. Think about how many things in our lives change. Every single day, our clothing, our health, our circumstances, the way we drive to work, what we eat, everything changes on a daily basis except for Jesus. Jesus does not change. He is eternal. And then, the author continues with another rhetorical question in verse 13. Again, making his congregation think. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? This is a direct reference from Psalm 110, verse 1. Christ came to do the redemptive work on the cross that no one else could do as God's son. He lived, he died, and he was resurrected for the purification of sins so that we might be free from sin. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And the promise is that Christ will return and all the enemies will be a footstool for his feet. That's where we find ourselves now, waiting for his return of the king, for the return for all redemption. So, not only was the name of Christ better than angels, he was the son of God. Not only did the angels worship him, it wasn't the other way around. Not only is Jesus the creator with God, begotten, not made. Not only is Jesus eternal and unchanging, but Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father until he returns for the redemption of the world. That's a promise we can keep, we can hold. And finally, in verse 14, the angels are referred to as ministering spirits sent out to serve. The author ends with this final statement, bringing it back to the role of the angels as servants of the Lord, doing the work of the Lord in the world, sent to minister on the Lord's behalf as we see numerous times in Scripture. So why do you think that the author of Hebrews made such a drawn-out point to illustrate that Jesus was superior to angels? Why use seven Old Testament passages to prove his point? Why not just say it, Jesus is superior, and move on? It might have been because his congregation was mixed up theologically about the importance of angels. They may have thought that angels were more majestic and greater than Jesus. We see Paul warning the Colossians in Colossians 2 about not glorifying angels or spirits above the deity of Christ. So this might have been typical for them to think, oh, the angels are ones that deserve the glory. Angels were sometimes viewed as mediators between humans and God, a way for humans to connect with God. So maybe they needed to be reminded that our only mediator is Jesus. That Jesus' work on the cross is the only thing we need for salvation, not the work of the angels. The Hebrews knew of Jesus as a suffering servant, one that humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And maybe they got caught up on that human part of things, the bloody Jesus on the cross, comparing it to the angelic, supernatural angels and they couldn't get past Jesus' humanity to see his divinity. We also must remember that these Hebrew Christians were persecuted. They were weary. They were looking for answers to life's biggest questions and issues, kind of like we are today. And instead of looking to Jesus, they were looking elsewhere. It probably wasn't that they were thinking too highly of the angels but that they were thinking too lowly of Jesus. Their focus had settled on the wrong things. They'd lost sight of the greatness of Jesus. So the author uses these Old Testament texts to remind them that this is nothing new. Jesus has always been greater. We see this repetition of scripture as reminders necessary for us to finally get it. Oh, that's right, Jesus is greater. This is a message that we all need to hear, the Hebrew Christians and us today. I know that you and I probably do not struggle with worshiping angels over Jesus. I mean, except Joe looked pretty good as an angel, right? But we don't. We, as people, especially those who were raised in the church or who have attended church for years, we know that Jesus is superior to angels, But is Jesus the greatest thing in our lives? We need reminders of Jesus' superiority over and over. We are easily distracted by lesser things, so we need reminders. This past week, we celebrated Epiphany on January 6th. It commemorates the visit of the Magi to the Christ child, Jesus. It's a celebration of God becoming human, a baby, revealing himself to the world. And in particular, this was the first time that Jesus was presented to the Gentiles, to people who were not Israelites. It is interesting because there are many faithful followers of Christ who've never heard of Epiphany. It's not often celebrated in Protestant churches. There are some Orthodox and mostly Catholic churches that really acknowledge Epiphany. It's a very popular day in southern Louisiana where I spent a few years of my childhood. We would always celebrate Epiphany with a king's cake. You might have seen a king's cake around um, Mardi Gras, they're colored green, purple, and yellow, and they're round. We loved as children the king's cake because the point of the cake was that you cut into it, everybody got their piece, and you had to find the baby Jesus. It was a teeny, 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 tiny plastic baby. And so you searched and searched, much like the Magi, searched for the baby Jesus. And you search and if you find it, if you take a bite and you found the baby Jesus, you then get to bring the cake next time. So as children, we wanted to win that baby so bad. Parents didn't wanna win the baby. They didn't wanna have to bring the cake again the next time. I certainly had a knack for finding that baby in the cake. Why is epiphany something we should celebrate? Is it just so we can eat a baby in a a king's cake? No, because of what we read here in Hebrews today. It's because when we celebrate that Jesus, who humbled himself in the form of a human baby, came to rule the world as king of kings, it's because Even some of the wisest men of the day, who had power and authority in the land, came to bow before Christ, recognizing his superiority, even as a vulnerable baby, searching for King Jesus. When we think about the magi coming to Jesus, we think about these wise men who did have power and authority. They were not people of Israel, they were foreigners from the east They they were likely trusted advisors to many. They studied astronomy and math and medicine, not the Hebrew scriptures. They were often called upon to read the stars and interpret future things for people. They were pagan, and yet they heard about Jesus, they followed a star, and they found him, and they believed that this baby was the one true king. They brought gifts, and they worshiped him. They knew he was not an ordinary baby, but that, it was, that he was God in human form. We see that for the first time, Jesus is the one true king. He's not just a king, but he is the king of kings. Even pagan men from the east would come to worship him. Jesus was better and more superior to even the stars that the wise men followed and more glorious even than the angels we must not lose our awe and wonder of King Jesus. We must not become complacent about Jesus as God, taking it for granted just because we've known it our whole lives. Let us look at Jesus as if we've never heard of him before. Powerful, miraculous, Savior, Messiah, King. When we look at Jesus with new eyes, with eyes like those of a child, we can't help but stand in awe and wonder of Him, fully human, fully divine, higher than angels, begotten, not made. So even though the temptation in our lives today is not necessarily to worship angels over Jesus, how many times do we put other things above Jesus? How many times do we sacrifice our faith in order to take the more comfortable route, to be more accepted, to not have to have that argument one more time with that atheist family member? or to not embarrass our children in front of the Starbucks barista. Like the readers of Hebrews, we don't have a problem with over-glorifying angels. Our problem is with under-glorifying Jesus. We haven't elevated Jesus to the place where he deserves to be in our lives. We've put many things before him. Have you somehow been convinced that Jesus does not have the power to help you In the darkest moments of your life has it just gotten easier to not prioritize the king of kings in your life because there's just too much else that's right in front of your face demanding your attention have you gotten so stressed and distracted that you'd rather rely on your own strength it's easier it's quicker than on the strength of the almighty relying too heavily on your own power and control even though you don't think you are greater than Jesus, you're acting like you do. This is my problem. Even when I get this last-minute call to write this sermon, I get stuck in the whirlwind of, I have to do it. I need to find the time. I've got to produce and write and execute. And then I'm reminded that it's the Spirit that works and moves, letting it go, trusting the king to do the work instead of myself. There's so much right now, especially, that we're seeing about making yourself better for the new year, meditating, dieting, exercising, eating better, so many ways to find wholeness and happiness and joy in our lives, all dependent on what you can do. No. In order to find wholeness and joy, we must prioritize the only one who can give it to us in a deep and lasting way, Jesus. We've got to stop relying on ourselves. We're weak and broken. We cannot find fulfillment there. We must seek the king. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, we see John the Baptist exalt Jesus by saying that he himself is not the Christ, that Christ must increase and he himself must decrease. Even the great John the Baptist knew he needed to decrease so that Christ could increase. What must decrease in your life so that Jesus can increase? Are you putting your faith in Jesus or are you putting your faith in something less? Are you looking for signs and wonders to bring you hope and peace? Are you looking for angels to bring you a sign from God? Jesus is saying, I am the greatest. Don't seek these lesser things, come straight to me. Friends, we must never lose our awe and wonder for the majesty of Jesus. Are we excited about Jesus? Are we wide-eyed and wondering at his glory? Are we in awe of the great I am? let us remember to lift our view of christ he's not just a prophet he's not just a human or just a king he is the king let us pray heavenly father god we thank you for your word to us we thank you that you remind us through your scripture of your greatness that your son would humble himself to come to this earth to live and to die and to be resurrected sitting at your right hand so that we might have life eternal. Let us please, Lord, cling to the unchanging nature of Christ rather than things that are lesser. Let us glorify the majesty and superiority of Jesus above all things in our lives. One day at a time, Lord, you call us and you lead us. And we thank you that we know you and that you're walking beside us. It's in your son's name that we pray.